Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders. Produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association and hosted by John Paul Young. Yeah, there's something for you at the Men's Shed. Hello Shedders and welcome to Episode 5 in Season 3. I've been feeling a little bit housebound with so many things cancelled lately thanks to COVID, so I'm looking forward to a good dose of Shed-inspired banter and there's always plenty of that. And it's great to have you here with me on the Shed Wireless. Here's what you can look forward to in this episode. Two special guests. First up, we're talking to Chairman of the Australian Men's Shed Association, Paul Sladden. Plus, you'll hear from a serious superstar of the music world. And Leo Sayer is in the mood for a good chat about life as he sees it. And I can tell you, Leo can talk under wet cement with a mouthful of marbles. On the tools, we're checking out a wood lathe, and that is quite fantastic. Our shadow in the spotlight is a really interesting guy from South Australia who recently had to downsize his home shed, which he wasn't particularly happy about. Uh, Once upon a time, he used to blow things up for a living, but now he's happy as Larry working on some unexpected projects. We'll have a laugh with Rip Woodchip, who's going over his finances, and we'll talk fishing with Butch. And how's your cholesterol? In Ask the Doc, we'll ask why that actually matters a lot and find out how many of us have the gene that causes high cholesterol. I've got my genes on today and I'll tell you what, it's freezing. The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders. Produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association across Australia and around the world. Yeah, there's something for you at the Men's Shed. To kick things off, let's check in with the chairman of the Australian Men's Shed Association, who I've not had the pleasure of meeting before now. G'day, Paul. How are things? Very good, John. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is winter, so we're experiencing a very good winter, and uh, hopefully we'll get some rain because we need a bit of rain. But um, yeah, no, things are going okay here in the northeast. Uh, unfortunately, our friends up uh, New South Wales aren't doing so good, so uh, our thoughts are with them. Back last year, uh, you were on the podcast quite frequently with Aaron, uh, giving updates for the men's sheds all over the country. Now, back when lockdowns and masks and restrictions were a new thing, are you feeling a sense of deja vu? Well, yes, we um, we really do feel for our New South Wales counterparts. Uh, Victoria, as we all know, we suffered uh, very badly uh, last year with the whole COVID and the shutdowns, etc. So, yeah, look, it's well, almost 12 months since uh, Aaron started this podcast in his uh, backyard shed. And it was a way that we, uh, yeah, we wanted this um, as a way to communicate and keep in touch with the shedders. So as I say, we do send our uh, best wishes to those in you know, the Sydney area in particular that may be shut down and ask them to look after their mates. How have you been finding things personally, Paul? Yeah, no, it's, um, it's okay. I've got my... Uh, I had my first uh, vaccination last week. Okay. Uh, I had no side effects, so that was great. I am of the age of the uh, AstraZeneca. So, <laughs> yes, uh, as I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of our shedders are. But, yeah, look, we strongly encourage everybody to get out there and get vaccinated if they haven't already. Yep, doesn't take much. And it, uh, as I say, there was no side effect. Well, that, that was with me anyway. So 
hopefully none of the others, uh, anybody else has any side effects. So what do you miss most about before COVID happened? Uh, I suppose I miss the travel more than anything else. Uh, well, because I do like to get out and about and, you know, visit sheds, uh, both within uh, within this state, but also uh, around the country as well. I was down in uh, Tasmania uh, last week uh, or the week before. wasn't on the best circumstances. I actually went down to a memorial service for uh, one of our directors, Charlie Trafford, who passed away. Charlie, uh, as I say, he was the Tasmanian director on the AMSA board. Fantastic man, very bright, uh, very funny. He set up the Somerset Community Shed in Tasmania about 20 years ago and been on the board since uh, 2014. And it was just great to see all the shedders from around his local area in Tassie uh, come along to that. And uh, you know, while it was a good opportunity to talk to the shedders there, uh, it was a very sad occasion and uh, we will uh, greatly miss Charlie and his uh, very quick wit. But yeah, as I say, getting around to the sheds uh, mm. in the States is, uh, is something that I do miss. Oh, well, our condolences to Charlie and his family. Any important shed news on the way? Well, given the latest um, information with the COVID situation, we're having to juggle a few of the... Uh, events that we had planned. So we were planning a conference uh, in Albury-Wodonga in September, but it looks like we're going to be uh, moving that to March next year. We've got Men's uh, Shed Week coming up in September. We recently received some funding from the federal government for regional coordinators, and uh, AMSA will be rolling that out in uh, New South Wales, ACT, Northern Territory and South Australia. The other relevant state associations will be doing it in their states. So that's something that we uh, that the sheds can look forward to. There's an opportunity there for shedders who may want to apply for those roles. So again, keep an eye out for that. Thanks again, Paul. No worries, John. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Shedder in the spotlight. Let's meet and learn about the life of one of our shedders. Our shedder in the spotlight today is both a home shedder and a men's shedder. He wasn't especially pleased when he had to downsize his home shed after moving to a new town in retirement. But that led him to help form a new men's shed and find some new projects instead of his old traditional love, woodwork. Let's say good day to Alan Tucker from the Monastery Shed in South Australia. Well, Alan, describe your men's shed for me. Our men's shed, it's a very um, small affair, I suppose. That's a, a small shed, nine metres by six metres. So we're, we're not sort of, um, yeah, particularly uh, flush with space. A small group of um, like-minded uh, guys. Um, as I say, when I say small group, there's, there's a sort of a, a nucleus of probably four or five people that are there all the time and, and a few blow-ins uh, every now and then. So, so it's not a massive uh, affair, but then again, we haven't got the room to sort of support too many. Okay. Um, but we, we all get on well. It's, it's, it's a very young, very young shed, uh, you know, sort of kicked off probably middle of 2019. You know, we haven't been going that long, but um, yeah, we're, we're, a, we're, we're a happy bunch. 
Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> it always makes the life a lot easier when everybody's happy. Uh, the monastery shed. Now, where are you exactly in, in Adelaide? Well, we're, we're in the suburb of Urbray. Uh, Urbray is uh, um, sort of southeast of the city. You, you come off the end of the southeastern freeway, which is the sort of the main connector between Melbourne and Adelaide. You uh-huh. come off the end of the freeway and, and we're right there, really. Uh, sort of it's, it's left down crossroad and the monastery's right there. And we're in the grounds of the monastery. Oh, I see. So hence the name, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a lo- lovely environment, actually. You, you sort of come in, you go past the church and the monastery has got a, um, I mean, there's a church there, obviously, because it's a Catholic um, sort of establishment, mm. but it's, it's, it's also a function centre. So um, they, have, they have corporate functions and things. Um, mm. but we're, we're sort of out the back, just tucked away. Right. Now, what about your home shed? Is that massively different? Oh, my home shed. Oh, my home shed. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've been woodworking for, uh, for, for, for many years and uh, I, I've actually relatively recently arrived in Adelaide and before that I was in Melbourne and I had quite a large sort of double garage equipped with just about everything I needed, uh, large scale, big equipment so that I, you know, I, I was into sort of a bit of furniture building and what have you, but but since we moved to Adelaide, I've sort of downsized a little bit. I've, I've still got some reasonable bits of equipment. I've got the router table and the uh, compound miter saw and, um, you know, the, the band saw. But I sort of down downsized a little bit, which is why I really wanted to get involved in a men's shed, which had a little bit bigger bigger equipment that uh, that I could just sort of well, utilise, I suppose, for uh, any large projects that uh, that I, I, I sort of uh, under, undertook. But um, I'm now sort of really uh, dabbling in all sorts of things now. I, I sort of started doing a bit of clock making and, and now I'm doing a bit of jewellery making. So, so at home I've got these little uh, workstations, if you like. I've got my, I've got my uh, jewellery and clock making little uh, section and then I've got a a workshop area where I've got my bandsaw and the router and a workbench for uh, for any sort of small woodworking projects I'm working on. So, so the uh, the jewellery side of things is that uh, basically costume jewellery, or are you getting more involved with uh, with gems? Oh, look, I, I, <laughs> I I'd love to uh, uh, get in, uh, you know, sort of into into the the, the good stuff, but uh, it's still sort of cubic zirconias and uh, originally. I had these great designs on on making uh, a whole lot of jewellery and going down to a market and selling it and sort of making a bit of money out of it. I did start to do that and uh, a bit of copper jewellery and a bit of silver jewellery. Jewelry. None of the nothing like gold or platinum or or any of those sorts of precious metals, but certainly silver and copper. And I started to make a, a fair bit of jewellery. I went down to a few mar- markets and uh, then found out that sort of. Nobody was really that interested, so, <laughs> so I thought, well, blow this! I'll I'll give that away and just maybe make make a odd, few odd pieces for my wife, you know, for for birthdays and anniversaries and things. So that's what I'm doing. Well, now. that's that's quite a quite a leap for an ex woodworker to get involved in, uh, in in copper and silver. And do, do you make do you make jewelry out of timber as well? Um, no, no, none of that. But but I I sort of transitioned because when I when I first got probably just before I retired, 
I sort of had these designs on becoming a, 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 a clockmaker. So, so I, I was making, I, I was, I was getting the old uh, brass clock movements off eBay and sort of buying these old movements, taking them to pieces, uh, cleaning them up and uh, oiling them, putting them back together again, and then making clock cases out of nice timbers like Jarrah or red gum, uh, you know, she oak, all these beautiful timbers. So, so I started to do that, and I've, I've made about four or five clocks. And, um, and, and again, you know, these great designs on, oh, everybody's going to want one of these old uh, mechanical clocks. Of course they do. You know, I'll, I'll be able to sell these for, uh, for a fortune. And um, I, I've still got them, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, we, but we're very good. I've, I've got sort of rooms here in the house which have got two, you know, a couple of clocks in them. And, uh, and it, it's wonderful. Every Friday you go around and winding them, wind, wind them up and... Uh, I like them. I, I like the tick-tock of, uh, of the old clocks. It sort of gives you a, a quite quite a nice sort of atmospheric feeling. Uh, yes, I had an uncle who had the same fetish, and uh, 12 o'clock at his place was something to behold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so that, that sort of transitioned me. I, I sort of started, you know, it, it, it blended a bit of uh, clock-making slash jewellery-making into woodwork, making the, the cases for the clocks. So... So I'm, I'm sort of dabbling a bit of everything. Do you think you're heading towards a, a money-making venture of some kind with your skills? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or have you, you, you've just resigned yourself to losing yourself. I've, I've given it away. I've, I've, I'm just doing it now for pleasure. I, 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 the reality is I, I don't need the money. I just I just do it for the for the satisfaction of uh, of um, you know making these things and it, look look if, if I get around to putting one onto eBay or whatever and sort of selling it then then fantastic but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sort of uh, feel like I need to uh, to do that to, to to get any satisfaction out of it I'm I, I just do it for the for the sheer satisfaction of building something or making something and um, for my own pleasure. <laughs> If nobody else's. But I, I just want to reflect basically on your background, Alan. You, now, you've come from a, a background of explosives. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, this is quite interesting. You know, you, from an explosives engineer to a jewellery maker, I mean, you couldn't get two, <laughs> things, two poles further apart. <laughs> yes, from, uh, from blowing stuff up to, uh, to creating stuff. Uh, yeah. It's, Intricate it's, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting move. Yeah, I, I don't know quite how that how that works. I mean, I, I um, you know, I, I did my, my mining engineering engineering degree in in London, and I I started my my life as an underground gold miner in South Africa, back in the late seventies, uh, you know, and uh, and and so so I, I got into mining. I don't know why I've got no history, family history of mining, but I did have somebody at school who. Who sort of um, sort of mentored me, and I, I suggested to him that I wanted to do something creative, something in engineering, that something that was a, a sort of a, doing a bit of everything. And, and being a mining engineer, you're, you're a jack of all trades, basically, and a master of none, really. So got into that uh, through through him, and then um, you know got got the opportunity of going to South Africa, and uh, and then coming over to Australia. Worked at an underground copper mine in Tasmania, and, and oh, please sort of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, down at Queenstown. The Mount, that was the Mount Lyle Mining and Railway Company back yes. in the ni- 1980. 
which is now a different name. I don't know what it was called now, but uh, I worked at uh, the copper mine there uh, for a number of years and then got into the, well, uh, a, a lot of activities there, but uh, the thing I most enjoyed was doing the um, the blasting, you know, being a drill and blast engineer there uh, in their mass firings there. They had some, you know, huge blasting operations underground and... Uh, and then from there, I joined um, an explosive company, ICI Explosives, as it was then. It's now Orica Mining Services, but it was ICI Explosives then, and um, and got into the explosive side of things and teaching people how to how to use explosives safely and efficiently. And and that's really what I did for well for the last thirty plus years. Well, um, Alan, it sounds to me like you've had a very interesting and and varied life uh, <laughs> when it comes to. <laughs> comes to a working life it, uh, it sounds fascinating indeed and I, I want to thank you for being uh, our shedder in the spotlight this time on the on the shed wireless and good luck with your with your maybe you just save the silver up it's probably worth more as a raw material <laughs> absolutely absolutely thanks very much alan yep no worries good good on you bye-bye bye for now You're listening to The Shed Wireless with John Paul Young. It's a podcast for shedders. So shed all your cares and woes and listen in. Yeah, there's something for you at the men's shed. Our special guest for this week, the one and only Leo Sayer. Well, Leo, <laughs> we know you've had a very long and... Uh, distinguished career in the music business. Kind it's of been like yourself, quite amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I think you're you beat me in the international stakes, there's no doubt about mm, that. Mm-hmm. You've had a lot of international hits. Thank but you. I want to talk to you about Mm-mm. some more commonplace things. Um, like you you've just had your seventy third birthday. Yes. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. Um, how do you feel about the whole ageing thing, you know, just, just getting old. Yeah, it's really interesting. I was doing an interview the other day with um, somebody at the BBC, and they actually asked me the question, they said, what do you miss more than anything else? And mm-hmm. uh, what time would you like to be in? And I, I've just got this feeling at the moment, because of where we are in the world, that before we had the internet and before we had mobile phones, we were in this amazing place where creativity was so incredible because you had to use your imagination and our imaginations were wonderful. I mean, I've been reading interviews that I did and I was so succinct in those days, you know, everything kind of made sense. And that's because we we learned our wisdom, we learned our knowledge, we didn't look on Google and we found out everything. So I think that this age is, it's kind of interesting because we come to this time, I think at the moment, with a lot of incredible tools the tools that you and I have grown up with, where we had to make it up as we went along and we had to ask people to help us um, and we had to be inspired by heroes. That's the other thing that's gone. And I don't feel that the class of today so much relies on those heroes and role models which we had to rely on. So so there we are. We, we, we learned from the ground up. Our, our experience was hard won. It was hard fought for. And we took it forward, and I, I think we're in this wonderful place now, us older people, as it were, where we've got all this knowledge, we've stored it up, and now we're, that wisdom is coming back to use. Again. And I think it is. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I hear it more and more uh, quite recently that um, people's grandchildren and children 
are starting to listen to the music yeah, that we listen to. They're discovering it. Yes, exactly. And um, you know, yeah, it, it yeah, says, kids it buying says a, something. Kids yeah. going to music stores and buying a drum kit or a guitar because they're inspired by something they heard from our time, rather than a sequencer and a you know and a, and a yeah. You live uh, down in beautiful Berrimah, is that correct? Absolutely, the Southern Highlands, yeah, yeah near Barrow and Mittagong and Robertson and all those places. You know, I know you have a, a wonderfully functioning studio down there, so yeah, that must yeah. take up a bit of your time. Well, it does, but I love making records, and I always did. Um, I used to kind of watch people like, well, Richard Perry and um, uh, Arif Mardin make records with me, and I'd always determined to learn things off them. Mm-hmm. So I love creating records. And I think I like creating the whole thing. So recently, I mean, I had an album about two, three years ago called Selfie. And it was called that because I did everything myself. Um, Apart from mixing it. And I've got a great guy here in Queensland that I I use. But um, I love the idea that, you know, Van Gogh or Picasso Picasso didn't get somebody in to do the blues and the yellows. They did the lot, you know. So, So I suppose it's an... And also, you know, I've got that song which is a curse, One Man Band. So there I am. I, I kind of... I'm one of those people that has to do it by themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I'm bloody minded this, probably. Now, what, what, what else takes up your time besides the book. music? I'm writing my book as well, and You're that's taken a, a hell of a lot of time because doing the research for all the lost years that you can't correlate and you don't know about. So you do things like you print out a diary and you put the year on it, you know, and you go through pages and pages. And then every time um, a fan sends a ticket stub or... You know, or, or or you read about a gig, you find out that you go onto Procol Harum's website because you remember you did a gig with them, but their fans are better than mine. So they actually say it was in it was in June '73 that Leo supported Procol Harum. So gradually, all the dates fill in. Yes, they and, are, and that triggers the memory of the of the of all those events. You know, I I wrote a book, and I think I read from somewhere that uh, somebody famous quote said if you're going to do an autobiography do it when you're young because you remember this <laughs> yeah i've got a pretty good memory though john i mean i'm i'm pretty lucky i'm able to look at a date and, a, and a, an event and you know as long as i've got some quiet time to consider it and a little bit of research around it i even have a book of uh, all the things that you know on those Dorling Knesley books of you know those DK books that kind of what happened on that month in 19 so you trigger it like that you go oh Margaret Thatcher was attacking the miners you know or something around here was happening with Gough Whitlam mm-hmm. so you kind of remember a, a moment and you put yourself in that place and you go yeah this is what I was thinking at that time and there's a press cutting inevitably that you can pull out from that time and you 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 hear all this BS pithy world wisdom that you came up with at the time, you know, but it but it puts you in the picture, so you can gradually tell the story. Yeah. They're all little adventures, aren't they? Absolutely. Oh, do you they remember are. when we first met? A countdown, and I walked in. I didn't mm. know what to make of Molly. I mean, he was a freak. We still don't know. We what still to don't make know what to make of Molly. <laughs> and I remember you were in there, and you sang just before me, and I thought, "Who's this guy? God, and his energy, and he's the same height as me." <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. But we were kind of. I think we were all like babes in a wood. We didn't really completely know what we were doing. Absolutely not. No, and, and that's the beauty a, of it as yeah, well. We were inventing taking advantage something. of our luck. I know, and I think inventing something as well as mm. we went. You know, uh, I thought my wife and I had a pretty good record in. Uh, having been together for 27 years before we got married. Uh, now, you've just been telling me that you're thinking about getting married to the lovely Donatella. I know, because it's, it's about How many time years? 
32 years we've been and I was married for 14 years before that uh-huh. so um, and that ended up with um, my wife Janice just didn't want to be Mrs. Sarah any longer because mm-hmm. we'd go to America you know and the usual thing you're in, introduced to somebody and they go oh Leo nice to meet you and, and I'd say well this is Janice my wife saying hi Janice anyway Leo what I wanted to say to you you know and it's very tough for the lady the support acts mm-hmm. you know, in our lives isn't it Indeed. I mean and now, now Donna pretty much like your missus chooses not to come to the gigs stays away you know and just sort of says you get on with it John you get on with it Leo and then come back and tell me about it later we'll finish off on Mm-mm. just a chat about your health how's yes Pretty good. I've got three stents. I've had heart problems, uh-huh. but nothing major. Although my doctor said, my surgeon said, I was really lucky to see him the day I did. Uh-huh. Because I was having a thing where I, I don't know if you've experienced this, where I was suddenly falling asleep on the road, having to have a sleep. As you're diving down the road in your big BMW, you <laughs> suddenly kind of go, hang on, I've just got to pull over for 15 minutes. And that, I was doing that all the time. Uh-huh. And so he said to me, that, that is a lack of oxygen. So you're really having trouble. Mm. And he said, come on, let's test you immediately. So I went in, literally operated the next day. And was that here in Australia? Yeah, here in Australia. And put three stents in. It was only about seven, eight years ago. And been right as rain since then. And I have a partial kneecap replacement. But that's due to falling off stage too many times. (laughs) Playing the village idiot, you know, in front of the band, as we do. (laughs) I'm sure you've done the same. You know, run on stage, trip over the monitors, straight into the orchestra pit. I've done that a few times. It's just a stage I'm going through. Yeah, it's just a stage I'm going through, literally. (laughs) Well, Leo, thank you very much. It's been very informative informative indeed. uh, Always a pleasure. For being on. We are brothers of the mic. That's what we need to do. Yes. And thank you for being on The Shed Wireless. A pleasure. Lovely to be on The Shed. And long may it flourish. All its panels be in place. And no wind blow it down nor fire. <laughs> okay, you can be quiet now. <laughs> <laughs> on The Tools. On The Shed Wireless. With John Paul Young. We're here at Newcastle Wood Turners. And uh, I'm here with Jan... Jan Palamoski. I'm glad he said it and not me. And uh, the thing is, we're going to talk about wood lathes. Now, there's one thing about wood lathes that I know. Nothing. <laughs> so I'm going to bring in Marty Lease because Marty's the man. He knows everything about timber. Scratch your head, Marty. Yep, yeah, splinters. It. It's all there. Splinters. Very good. Very good. Yeah, what I know is not worth knowing, really. So uh, that's why we call in the experts like you, Jan, to tell us all about it. So... We, we want to talk lathes today because um, just about every shed has a lathe. If it's one of the first tools they ever get in the shed, it's a lathe. So uh, we want to learn more. I know, I know it's a very... I've had a little bit of a go on a lathe, not much, but it's a very cathartic exercise, isn't it, using a lathe? It can be a little bit daunting. Um, my uh, advice to people starting out with wood turning is to uh, join a wood turners club uh, before you buy a lathe, you get to um, get knowledge from the people that are here. We're all willing to help in any way possible. Um, people buy a, a small lathe, a light lathe from Aldi or somewhere, and then they end up hating it and then giving up wood turning. But if you come along to any wood turning club um, and get some lessons, you then work out whether you, you like the process or you don't, um, and then you... Um, work out what kind of a lathe you would like to do to buy and my advice is to um, go for cast iron it's uh, more solid the other advice that i give a lot of people is 
put your hand in your pocket, work out what your budget is, and then see what's available, and then buy the next one that's dearer than that, so that um, you're not going to be kicking yourself later for not doing it to start with. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good tip to start with. Go and go to join the local woodworkers group and or the local men's shed, and just get some tips and learn a little bit, a bit about it. Because like anything, if you have a go yourself and you fail, you think, oh, you know, I'll give this a miss. I'm no good at it, whatever. But if someone gives you a little bit of advice to start off with, you know, you're, you're on the right track. Yeah, and also the fact that you know you you, you say go for the one above what you think you can afford. So, uh, you know, that obviously when you start doing wood turning, you probably uh, get a little bit better than you thought you were going to get and you regret not having a, a bigger machine. I think the, um, the story there is that um, the capacity of the machine, people tend to go for smaller machines and you can make um, small things on a small machine and you make small things on a big machine but you can't make big things on a small machine right so um, a lot of people um, make little uh, pens and uh, cheese knife handles and stuff like that and a small machine is great for that right so so all right so we're, we're, if you were starting off what, what would you be looking for in in a lathe what size you know what sort of uh, what sort of product what are we looking for in a, in a lathe for a starter I'd probably um, go for a small, uh, I'll call it a Vicmark lathe, not that I'm pushing that um, brand, but they're well made, they're cast iron. The other thing that is really uh, essential these days is variable speed um, because you can get something that's out of balance and you can start it off slowly and then knock the rough edges off it and then wind it up as you go. The other thing with a variable speed is that when they start, they're a soft start, so they'll start off very slowly and then they'll ramp up to whatever speed you've dialed in. And usually, if you've made a mistake, you've got about three seconds to get out of the way before something uh, flies off. <laughs> Good tip. Good tip. Yeah, there you go. Well, yeah. on that, how much safety equipment should you have when you're using a, lay, a wood lathe? The safety equipment uh, that, you, that is essential is you, you must wear eye protection at all times. Uh, a visor is good. Um, never wear gloves on anything that's rotating. Okay. Uh, sturdy footwear. Uh, no loose sleeves. No long hair. Uh, basically, anything that applies to industrial um, um, working is also applying to this, mainly because you've got rotating uh, equipment and wood. Well, that's why I'm working, working on the bald patch at the back here. Work, I'm working my way forward. <laughs> JP, while well, you're out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Too, I used long. to wear a hairnet when I was an apprentice. I think I'd, I'd still have to wear one. <laughs> I was up at our Redland Bay last year, uh, up in Brisbane Way, and there was a guy doing a demonstration. He was legally blind. I don't know whether he was blind when he first started out wood turning or whether he, he wasn't wearing the shield, but uh, yeah, this guy was legally blind. He was still doing, pulling out some amazing work, so, so pretty crazy, that, that stuff. On that note, I went to uh, our wood turning symposium uh, turnfest in Queensland and there was an American demonstrator and he was totally blind. And he did everything by feel and uh, he said it was great, he could work at night because he didn't have to turn any lights on. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was just amazing what he could do. Um, but he started off, he wasn't blind, then he did go blind and, and, he, and he adapted. He had a a little tool holster with three tools that he had on on his belt and he knew exactly where they were and it was just amazing what he could do incredible incredible so, so back back to starting out then like it is a pretty daunting thing i remember the first time i sort of put a put a piece of timber on a lathe i was there by myself which wasn't smart to start with i thought i'll give this thing a go and uh 
it was very daunting that first time I was taking the chisel towards that bit of timber. Like, what, what you know, obviously it's, it's a lot safer and smarter to go down and get someone to give you a bit of a demonstration or something first. But it, but it, it can be pretty scary, but it's not that bad, is it? Uh, it, it can be scary, but the, the, the secret is to start using thing, uh, wood that's small. Uh, here we have uh, probably 30 learners that come along and um, we have mentors that help them. We, uh, we show them how to um, hold the chisel to, to uh, present it to the wood in the, in the right um, direction. We show them how to sharpen the tools and uh, we just start them off uh, on basic um, spindle work going from square to round and then putting some beads and hollows and coves and things on them and then from there they progress into making like a little goblet but the the timber is small to start off with so that if it does happen to um, come out of the lathe it's not going to do any any major damage. Yeah great there you go and then you've got so okay so that, that's starting on a bigger lathe then you've got you've basically got large medium small your pen lathes is it? Yeah, we have small lathes that are good for um, doing pens and um, small spindle work, uh, small bowls. Uh, then we go to uh, like a, a medium size that'll turn something like about 200 diameter. And we have one lathe here that'll turn 600 diameter by a metre long. Yeah, wow. There you go. Well, I'll tell you what, there's some amazing uh, things that you've made here too. You know, the, I, I'm just having a look at that enormous table out there made from uh, camphor laurel. And I, I'm, it's just incredible that the grain in, in camphor laurel, I never realised that. Oh, it's a beautiful timber, camphor laurel, and um, luckily we can get a fair bit of it around here. We get most of our timber from uh, tree loppers. They're only too happy to give us the, the large trunk, uh, which is good for us because we mill it with our Lucas mill, and it means that they don't have to um, cut it into smaller pieces and put it through the chippers. And the other thing with camphor laurel is that um, when it's made into chips it's not really good for putting on your garden because of the um, the oil in it yep. uh, any eucalypts they don't mind chipping that because they can just sell it as mulch fantastic and you've also this uh you know the uh the wood turners here you've you've got really involved in, in charity and and you you made a huge donation to the uh, john hunter hospital yeah when we first started out we were running wood woodworking and craft expos and um Half of the profit that we made we would give to John Hunter uh, Children's Hospital. The other half of the money we used to build this facility that we have now. We had a small uh, grant from the government and we've now been here in this building 20 years. Fabulous. Unbelievable. Good stuff, eh? Good stuff. Um, so, you know, how long you've been doing this? I think you said you started wood turning when you were about 40, right? And you look, what, 45 now? What's that? I've condensed all that all into 30 years. <laughs> 30, 30 years. So, and we've seen some of the work that you've been pumping out, and it is absolutely incredible. Like, how long did it take you? Did it take 30 years to get to the level you are? Or did you sort of get the knack of it after a few years, or what? I was self-taught. I think I made every mistake in the book. Uh, I can remember turning a thing the size of a bowls ball at uh, way too many RP. A bowls ball or a bowler's ball? A bowling ball, like for you know, a lawn bowls bowl. And it uh, flew out of the lathe, it just missed me, it went out to the shed and it went 100 metres down the road before it's lost momentum. Um, but the, the, the other thing is that um, I went to a lot of um, demonstrations from other wood turners, other clubs, and um, you learn a lot from other people just seeing how they do stuff. 
Um, if you can get one good tip out of a demo, you're in front. Uh, I've been uh, fortunate enough to do lots of demos around the, uh, the state and actually interstate. But uh, yeah, there's lots to learn from other people. Yeah. And I've seen guys come into men's sheds like they've just retired. You know, they might have been accountants all their lives or lawyers, never picked up a tool or anything. Someone's shown them how to lathe, to use a lathe and they've found a whole new lease on life and they pump out some of the incredible work and they, uh, they, you know, they think, why haven't I been doing this all my life? I, mean, I can't, I can't uh, recommend to anyone to, to not, not to have a go at a lathe. I mean, it's such a, a beautiful, cathartic exercise to produce something. It's like, I guess it would be like pottery, a potter you know, producing a, a vase or something. It is a lot like pottery. A lot of the shapes that we use in hollow forms are from uh, classic pottery. The only difference is that if you um, don't like it, you can't squish it into a ball and start again. <laughs> you get one go. So um, yeah, we try to um, bring out the, the grain in the piece. Um, I lately have been sort of not too worried about the grain and use other ways of embellishing the, uh, the timber but uh, I try and uh, get a balance between both. You going to give it a go, JPY, or what? Uh, well, there's no cameras around, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, mate. Well, th thank you for thank you for doing this today. Like, there's so much to l learn, but like you say, I think the best tip you gave today was go down. If you are interested, go down to a local wood turners or the or the local men's shed and get someone who knows what they're doing to give you a few tips and and uh, the tools of the trade and things. And But if, if you were looking to, to purchase one too, where would be the best place to start searching? Would, would it be online or...? Yeah, we have two major manufacturers, or three in Australia. There's um, Vicmark that are in Queensland, uh, Woodfast that are in South Australia, they're a good lathe, and um, Omega stubby lathes, but they are really expensive, but they've got a worldwide reputation. Yeah. Uh, there are cheaper ones on the markets. Hair and Forbes um, sells a lot of Chinese lathes. Chi there are some uh, cast iron Chinese lathes that are quite good. I was telling you before, I saw a nice cheap one at a uh, German ret a food retailer the other day. I nearly picked up for nice and cheap. How, do you, how long do you reckon that would have lasted me? Um, you'd have outgrown that in about five minutes. Uh, what people do with them is they, um, they just take the bed away and they put a sanding disc on the front and make them into a sander. Maybe it's just meant for peeling potatoes or something like that. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> anyway. All right, mate. Thank you so much for that. We're going to take another bit of a look around and we might even give this a go ourselves. What do you reckon? Why not? I'm game. Says Long John Silver. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Thanks, thanks Jen, And thanks to the, new, the Hunter Woodturners. Woodturners and a Hunter. I knew it. I knew Beautiful. It. Thanks right. very much, Jan. Got a question? Ask the doc. Professor Rob McLaughlin from AMSA Partners Healthy Mail. Did you know a quarter of people who have had a heart attack don't make it to hospital? And one in two Australians have the gene for high cholesterol, which plays a big part in your risk of heart disease. So, how's your cholesterol and why should you care? That's our topic in Ask the Doc this time around. But I've got a few more questions to throw in too. How often should you get your cholesterol tested? And if yours is high, can you fix it just by cutting out certain foods? Our in-house doc here in the Shed Wireless is the wonderful Professor Rob McLaughlin AM from Healthy Mail. Rob has a lot of other titles too, including Director of Andrology Services at the Hudson Institute of Medical Research. He's even a contributor to the World Health Organization on certain aspects of male health. We're extremely lucky to have him as part of the podcast, so over to you, Rob. Thanks, JPY. 
Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm really glad you asked those questions about cholesterol. You're absolutely right. It's a word we hear a lot, but why cholesterol matters a great deal isn't well understood by Australian men. I've invited Professor Stephen Nichols to join this episode of Ask the Doc here on the Shed Wireless so we can really nail down a good understanding of how cholesterol affects the smooth running of your engine, or perhaps more importantly, keeps the fuel lines clear. Stephen is a world-renowned cardiologist and leads the Victorian Heart Hospital that's due to open next year. He's won lots of awards, has written almost 800 papers, books, and conference proceedings. He's raised more than $100 million in research funding. He's a busy man, Stephen. What do you do in your spare time? I run and I play golf really badly. <laughs> <laughs> You're keeping the balance there. That, that's great. Look, uh, Stephen, I thought we should start with the basics. Uh, what is cholesterol in good old plain English? Uh, why do we know more about it today than maybe 10 years ago? Like, what's news? Yeah, well, cholesterol is one of the fats in the in the body. Um, it, it's important we all need cholesterol. All of the, Every cell in the body needs cholesterol to, to form the, the walls of the cells. Uh, the, the challenge is that, you know, over uh, generations, we've just come, come to have more cholesterol than we really need. Is that because uh, our diet's changed? I mean, why is it different than it was 100 years ago? Well, I think it probably is. I mean, I think that, you know, um, while there are some genes that are associated with different cholesterol levels, the, the, the profile of genes in a population don't change that quickly. And so you start to think, well, what do we do differently now than we did 100, 200 years ago? And, and in fact, if you kind of go back further than that, you know, we, we started off as hunter-gatherers. Yeah. We kind of ran around. We were lazy yeah. and chased. Um, we got a little bit of food. Um, so we did a lot of exercise and ate a little bit. Now we eat a lot and we um, don't do a lot of exercise. We take the elevator up to up to the supermarket and then buy the wrong food and take the elevator back down to our car and drive home. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, so when do we get our cholesterol tested? I mean, should everyone have it done? I mean, how do I know if I've got a high cholesterol? Yeah, so I think every Australian adult should have um, a cholesterol test in their early 20s. And, and the reason we, we actually say that is not because we think people need to be treated in their 20s, but we know that there are families where cholesterol can run very high uh, and that there's a very strong gene inheritance for that. So, so actually, not only can we identify an individual who might have high cholesterol in one of those families, but then we can go and test the rest of the family. And, and why that's important is because where there's a strong genetic involvement, it means the cholesterol levels have typically been very high from a very early age. And we tend to treat those individuals earlier. Whereas the majority of people that I see in my practice with high cholesterol have progressively increased those levels over over the over the life course but uh, but you know we say everybody should have it measured at least once early on and then later on once you get to your kind of mid 40s 50s when you're starting to look at kind of screening for chronic diseases heart disease diabetes cancer whatever um it, you know a heart check would routinely involve measuring cholesterol in addition to blood pressure and looking at smoking and things like that mm. So there's a bit of an interesting message there for the shedders. It's not just them we're talking about, but you're suggesting that maybe they should mention to their 20 and 30-year-old children that they should have their cholesterol checked as well uh, because, you know, you want to get there early in the game, not late in the game. You absolutely do. So we know that one in 200 Australians are going to have what we call FH, which is familial hypercholesterolemia. That's the gene 
uh, caused high cholesterol, that, that's a lot of people. And it's going to run in families. So, you know, we know that if we identify one person in the family, if you if you measure all your siblings, your parents, your cousins, you, you're going to find more people. And, and, and it's about preventing heart disease and strokes. So that's why we think that's really critical to, to know your level so that, you know, we can then decide whether we need to do something about it. Hmm. Uh, so it's really the two things happening, aren't there? There's the, there's the genes that go through the families, the, if you like, the un, un, unlucky aspect of being having the wrong genes, but then there's the environment. It's the, uh, the food and the exercise and everything else that even if you've got good genes, you can get off the beaten track because you're not looking after your body. You're not running it on the right fuel. Exactly, and I kind of liken it to all factories. And, you know, it would be great if all the factories operated exactly the same way, but they don't. I get... I get a lot of patients who say, you know, you know, my brother or my sister eat eat as terrible diet as I do and get their cholesterol's okay and mine's really high. That doesn't seem very fair and it's not very fair, but but it is what it is and it really does reflect that we probably we we probably metabolize those fuels differently and 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 so part of that is part of that's probably genetic, but uh, you know, there are a whole bunch of other factors that influence that. Well, before we get on to the good news about what we can do about it, I mean, the, the news, the bad news has always been this is a major killer of, of, uh, of blokes uh, and disabler. Do you have any overall view of what the burden of cardiovascular disease, be it stroke or, or heart attack, is for the Australian male? Yeah, so I look, so heart disease is the leading cause of death in this country. Australian dies every 12 minutes due to heart disease. Uh, we know that more than 50,000 Australians will have a heart attack this year. That would fill most big footy stadiums. Um, and, um, and that heart disease is much more common in men than it is in women. We are realising that it's actually really important in women, and that's something that we've kind of ignored for a long time. So we're doing a lot of work there. But, but you know, there's a, a, lot of, a lot of men in this country who are either living with heart disease or living with the risk factors that may cause a heart attack. Hmm, right. So we, it's something we, we all have to pay attention to for both ourselves and, and for our family. So the, the good news is there are things you can do about it, the things you can, you can uh, change in your life and uh, perhaps change through medication to give yourself a much better outlook. Can, can you give us an overview of how you approach me? You know, if I came along with a high cholesterol, what, what would you be looking to ask me and do for me? So, so the first thing is uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about a whole bunch of lifestyle things before I get anywhere near a drug, that, right? Because the yep. second I prescribe a drug, you're on it forever. I get asked a lot of questions, can I take this for a little while? It's not going to be that way. So once we go down that path, you, you're, you're stuck with it. So, so you know, I'm going to look at not only your cholesterol but your whole risk for having heart disease. So I'm going to make sure I'm going to give you a lecture about smoking um, you know, we're going to talk about diet and exercise. What do I mean by exercise? I don't mean everybody going out and running 10Ks. Um, I mean, you know, exercise, we do about 30 minutes a day. Um, and that really needs to be a brisk walk. It needs to be the type of exercise that makes you sweat a little bit, get your heart rate going a little bit, but it doesn't need to be full on weights, cardio, all of those types of things. And, and when people can't find 30 minutes, I tell them, break it up. Two times 15 or three times 10 is still better than a lot times zero. 
Um, <laughs> and and so so exercise is important. Um, what you eat and how much you eat is critical, and that's really the biggest issue we have in this country is we eat too much. I get asked a lot of questions about is it fat or is it sugar? Well, actually, we just eat too much of everything. So, you know, step number one is to look at how you eat and how you eat across the day. We're, we're kind of we're kind of engineered to have two or three meals over the course of a day, where, except what we tend to do is we graze, right? So we, we may or may not have breakfast. We kind of graze during the morning on a donut or a bun or whatever, and, and you know, we'll pick up, Kind of biscuits or whatever throughout the day, um, you know. So we we kind of tip, we kind of seem to be in this kind of post eating phase a lot more of the day than we're really supposed to be. So first of all, kind of try to get people into eating regular meals. Um, then start to look at eating less fat and in less processed sugar. And and so I, I tend to try to give advice that's not too restrictive. I think if you say to somebody, don't eat this and don't eat that and don't eat this, it's really hard to do that. Whereas if people can kind of look at the whole diet and eat less, um, I think that tends to be a strategy that works better. Right. i got to ask you about alcohol, Stephen. got to ask it. And alcohol is important. So so alcohol in moderation is okay. Uh, um, it's where it's too much and it's too regular where um, that causes a problem. And and so when we do a cholesterol test, we don't just get a cholesterol value. You actually get four different numbers, and, and it's really important to focus on it. You get a t what they call the total cholesterol, which I don't tend to pay too much attention to because I'm really interested in the other ones, which I kind of call the good, the bad, and the ugly. So you've got your HDL, which is your good cholesterol. You want That's supposed to protect you. You've got your LDL, which is your bad cholesterol. That's really what we're trying to get down. But then you've got the other fat in the blood, what we call triglycerides. And why triglycerides are important are that they are much more sensitive to alcohol kind of consumption. So actually, if you reduce the grog, you can actually reduce your triglyceride levels you know, quite a bit. What's a bit high? There must be thresholds at which... You can say, oh, that's that's good enough. You know, you've done a good job with your diet exercise. We'll leave it as is. And other, other times you say, oh, look, you know, we have to go a bit further. What's in your mind when you, you think about using medication? Yeah, so two things are in my mind. So first of all, how high your cholesterol and your triglycerides are is, is really important. Um, but the other thing is what I think your overall risk of having a heart attack is. If you've already had a heart attack, I lower your cholesterol regardless of what your cholesterol actually is. And you know, patients scratch their head a little bit when you say, well, they say, well, actually, well, my cholesterol was normal. Well, it was too high for you because you've already had a heart attack. And the trials show us that lowering your cholesterol will actually reduce your chance of having another heart attack. Um, people with diabetes are at higher risk. I tend to treat them more aggressively. And then people who might have multiple risk factors. So people who have a family history and they smoke, and they've got high blood pressure, and they've got high cholesterol, then I would I, I would tend to treat them earlier as well. And then the medication I would use would then depend a little bit on whether I thought it was mainly their bad cholesterol or the triglyceride. That was really the, the high issue. And, and, and so I might use different drugs depending on what I thought the pattern was. Hmm. 
So what are the common uh, drugs you might use for those different uh, concerns? Well, so, so the most common drug we use are a drug called statins. Most people have heard about them. You, they certainly get a lot of coverage uh, in, in, in the news. Uh, statins are commonly used to lower the levels of bad cholesterol. They do that by working in the liver. Um, and the reason we use them is because they've been very effectively shown to reduce the risk of heart attack, stroke, the need to have a stent or a bypass operation. And, and in fact, in our own studies where we're actually able to image the plaques that build up in the blood vessels, we've been able to show that actually statins lower cholesterol and they can either slow the growth of those plaques or in some cases they can actually shrink them. Wow. Wow. And is that in people who uh, you know have had a heart attack in the past? Were you talking about people where you've just come upon these risk factors and before they've had their first episode? In other words, are you using it just to prevent a second attack or to prevent the first one? Oh, I think we're doing it for both. And as I said, if you haven't had a heart attack uh, before, but you're at a high risk, then I want to treat that person aggressively. Somebody who might be young with no other risk factors, I might... Um, I might in those situations try to uh, manage it with lifestyle to start off with, but that's why consulting with your GP is, is really important. One of the reasons you don't want to have a heart attack in the first place is a quarter of people who have a heart attack don't make it to hospital. So, so prevention prevention's pretty important. You may not get to the point where you can be treated. You may not make it to the hospital. Um, and then finally, I think we're learning a lot more about a lot more about genetics, and I think there will be genetic tests in the future, which will help us in way that we kind of predict the risk. And as I said, the higher risk, we tend to treat kind of earlier. And so there's a whole bunch of work that's ongoing because, despite all the great advances we've had, and all the things that I can do for a patient, my wards are still full. We spend more money on heart disease than any other area of health. Uh, and as I said earlier on, you know, there's a lot of Australians who die, particularly men, from this disease. So while we've won a few battles along the way, we're still losing the war. Okay. Oh, look, that's, that's a terrific overview. Thank you very much, Stephen. I, I've enjoyed that greatly. I hope uh, the listeners have also, you know, obviously uh, all over the topic, uh, very authoritative uh, uh, statements and uh, we will appreciate uh, hearing more in the future about the Victorian Heart Hospital and other sorts of advances across the country because I think Australia is doing a, a terrific job in this area, really punching above its weight as it often does and uh, you're part of that. So thank you very much, Stephen. Uh, all the best. Thank you. For a great range of resources and tools to help you live well, head to the Spanner in the Works website. You can just search it up or go to mailhealth.org.au. Everything you hear on The Shed Wireless is created to inform and is not intended to be a substitute for personal advice from your doctor. A big thanks, as always, to Professor Rob McLaughlin from Healthy Mail. By the way, if you haven't had time to listen to our two little podcast playbacks yet on the erectile dysfunction and the shocks of ageing, make sure you look them up. They're online at menshed.org forward slash The Shed Wireless, or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. Just search for The Shed Wireless and Google will do the rest. They're pretty short and sweet, 
and they're packed with useful information. Both of them are hosted by Aaron Carney and Professor Rob McLaughlin. By the way, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover in Ask the Doc, just you send me an email and I'll pass on the message. The email address is theshedwireless at menshed.net. Now it's time to talk fishing with Butch. Now we spoke about winter fish last time, Butch. Another thing that you can do if you're a fisherman in wintertime yep. is keep your gear uh, in, in good condition. Yep. And that includes if, you, uh, if you've got a boat on a trailer, mm-hmm. that includes um, checking your wheel bearings and uh, making sure yeah. that everything's all hunky-dory there. Yeah, it's very important because um, you don't want to have it sitting idle over summer, over winter I mean, and then come into autumn and go, right, let's launch the boat. You get halfway to the ramp and the wheels start to get wobbly and and the rollers don't work or your winch is gunked up. Yeah, and we had a good friend who uh, made a small fortune uh, parking himself at the at the ramp in Sydney there. He did. Uh, for that very reason because Absolutely. people would totally ignore their boat during wintertime yep. and then uh, put their boat in uh, and invariably something would be yeah. amiss with the engine or, or, the, or, winch they, didn't or work. the winch or something like that and... Mm. Uh, and Steve would just be sitting there with his little mini minor panel van full of tools and ready to spring into action. <laughs> he made a lot of money actually backing trailers down as well. Yeah. <laughs> because people that hadn't been fishing for months and months, spring comes up, it's, it's the weekend, nice hot day. Oh, let's get the boat in the water, take the family out. They'd get down, they couldn't back it in. <laughs> They'd forgotten. <laughs> You'd forgotten. <laughs> and, you know, on a ramp like that, there was usually two lanes, so... And there was a big queue up of boats, so they'd want to get two boats in at a time. Yep. And then, oh, yeah, I'll, give, yeah, I'll, I'll back it down for you, 20 bucks. Yeah. yeah. And they right. were happy to pay it. They were happy to pay it, yeah. <laughs> because they wow. couldn't get it right. But as far as maintenance, I remember, <laughs> this, we shouldn't be saying this, but one, one day when we were going to a fishing comp and we were driving from Sydney to Port Stephens, I think, John, you had that big white LTD at the time. Yeah. And I was driving. It was late at night. And we had the boat and the trailer and we're, you know, driving along, doing about 100, I think it was along the road. And I saw all these sparks in the rear vision mirror <laughs> on the driver's side and boom. Yep. Then we're dragging the trailer along on one wheel mm. and we pulled over. And as we're pulling over, this, the wheel itself was still rolling, went rolling past my driver's door and into the bush on the other side. Now, there was this guy behind us. He'd been behind us for hours and he wouldn't overtake. Mm-hmm. He was one of those sort of... Anyway, he pulled up and said, hey, I saw where your wheel went. I'll go and get it. This is in the middle of the night. Oh, yes, I <laughs> And remember he went now. off with a torch and, and yeah. you and I looked at each other. He's not going to find that wheel. <laughs> Five minutes later, he's wheeling it back up the road. <laughs> anyway, that was just bad man- maintenance because the, the wheel bearings actually collapsed. I think it also happened to us on uh, the Mount Oosley Road. <laughs> Yeah, From Wollongong did, one did. day as well. Luckily, we were going uphill. Yeah. Going back to Sydney. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we were pretty close to a wrecking yard where we exactly. could go and get another we wheel. Found a spare I mean, we were, we were very fortunate, very fortunate <laughs> but, indeed. But getting back to yeah. trailer maintenance, that's I think that's the, the main thing mm-hmm. the, is your wheel bearings. Yep. They're easy to replace, really. I mean, you don't have to be a genius mechanic, but if somebody shows you once, you'll always remember it. Yeah, the hardest part's getting the uh, the shell. What do you call that? The, the bearing, um, the, the shell. grease. Yeah, well, not the bearings themselves. They come out because they're falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, you get a whole kit. No matter what you want, you, all you've got mm-hmm. to do is remember. 
remember what wheel it is, what hub is on the wheel. Because there are various hubs, so you've got to buy various um, bearings for that hub. Mm-hmm. You can't just oh, that's a Holden hub. That's fine. If it is, you can get Holden bearings. But if it's a Ford hub or whatever other hub there is now, yep. it's a different bearing. So mm-hmm. that's something you've got to check at you. And modern day ones have a grease nipple on them. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or you can buy what they call a, a bearing, mate, which you take the, the cap off uh-huh. and bang that uh, grease nipple cap on and just get a, you know, get a, a grease pump mm-hmm. and pump them up. And that's the best. That's I found over year, the years, that's the best way to maintain your bearings is to keep pumping grease into it every yep. couple of trips. Yep. And it comes out the back and you know when it's full and... Check your uh, electrical connections. Make sure that they're they're all working properly with your with your indicators yeah. and your, your brake yeah, light. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and the winch, the winch, the winch is so important because you know you launch your boat and you come back in. You've been fishing all day. All you want to do is go home. You want to pull the pull the boat up onto the trailer. Uh-oh, the winch is stuck. What yeah. do you do? You know you, you you're gone. So it just needs a bit of grease or WD forty to start with and. Yeah. Then keep working it backwards and forwards till you know it all works that's pretty basic and um the other thing is uh is washing washing everything down when you when you yeah. finish yeah see most most trailers and or motors back in the day were designed in fr- for fresh water but yeah. now in australia everything's you know it's designed for salt water so so your motors now internally are much more corrosion resistant that doesn't mean to say you shouldn't flush them out mm-hmm. but they don't not as important as it used to be yeah uh, but the trailers definitely got to got to hose them down yep. and um, the other thing I thought it was the 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 lights on trailers now are usually those submersible and they're LED so yeah. they're less likely to um, get corroded mm-hmm. and less likely to malfunction so right. I'd, I'd upgrade all my trailer lights to LEDs now mm-hmm because I don't think they're expensive. Just go to, you yep. know, one of the one of the car places and get get a Fantastic. set of yeah. All it. right. Well, thanks very much. That's okay. Something else for you, for everybody at home to do in winter time when the when the weather might be a bit lousy and uh, you, you don't feel like getting cold. Because let's face it, <laughs> the older you get, the colder you get. <laughs> thanks very much, Bush. That's okay. Bye. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it with Rip Woodchip. G'day, shitters. Rip Woodchip here. How are you all going today? Me gas hot water just shit itself. There's a thousand bucks I didn't plan on spending when I woke up this morning, nor was I planning on a cold shower. Oh well, just roll with the punches, don't we? Looks like I'll be dipping into the rainy day account again. Mind you, if I have any more rainy days, I'll have to look at building a bloody ark. You just can't predict everything, I guess. But I've always tried to keep a bit set aside for little emergencies like this. But sometimes, it just seems to hit you all at once. I'm not usually too bad with managing my money, though. I mean, I'll never be a billionaire, but I just about got everything I need, and Bill Gates will never have my missus. We're comfortable in our old age, but it wasn't always like that. That is for sure. We learned the hard way a few times. Booms and busts, feasts and famines... We've seen them all, me and me missus. We've had our share of good fortune, and sometimes we're in that deep of the hole we could barely see the daylight. Sometimes due to bad luck, and sometimes it was just bad management. But you live and learn. You can't teach experience with these sort of things, you know. you just got to learn by your mistakes. 
Still strikes me well, they don't teach it in school. Learning about compound interest sure would have served me better than learning how to dissect a frog. But there's just no real black and white or wrong or right way to live your life when it comes to managing your money. You just got to find your happy medium. It's all about balance and how you want to live, what you want to do and what you want to end up with in the end. I know blokes that have worked every day of their life and died with millions still in the bank, never getting the chance to enjoy it because they were too busy making it. And there's others that have spent everything they had as they went along and now they have nothing. But they're happy nonetheless. Each to their own. Me and the missus, we never really went without too much, but we've always been a pretty good team. If things were tight, she was always willing to halve me beer budget, no problem. And we've helped the kids as much as we can here and there, and now we have enough to get by and splurge every now and again on the odd holiday. All new seat covers for me, Noah. Anyway, fellas, I ought to go and invest in me plumber's retirement fund now. Catch you next time, fellas. See ya! Now, don't forget, you can get in touch with me by emailing theshedwireless at menshed.org. I'd love to hear your ideas for the Shed Wireless topics and special guests and any little bits and pieces you'd like to contribute. You'll find extra bits and pieces at The Shed Online and YouTube as well. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you back here. Bye-bye. It don't matter if you work with wood or fabricating metal the thing you understood Whatever is your game Everyone's the same Yeah, we can do it all At the men's shed Short, fat, tall Skinny, hairy, bald In the shed It's welcome one and all Share the skills you know We're all having a go There's a healthy